You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Take one. Knock, knock. Stephen and Dana, and we're in the room. Ah! Good morning. Good morning. Are we all vocalized? It is 10 a.m. when nah. we're recording this. Nah. 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 Um, Red leather, yellow leather in the room. Good morning in the rumors. How are you? Cricket, cricket. We have no idea. Um, chirp, chirp, we chirp, hope, chirp. We hope you're great. We hope you're um, staying healthy and sane. And, and if sane. you're like on the West Coast, we hope you are uh, safe and uh, not <laughs> melting. As my aunt put it, she said, it's so fucking hot. My cigarettes light themselves. <gasps> That is, I want to get that tattooed on my body. Pick a spot. Same. I don't have any. That will be my first tattoo. Oh, oh, blank page or canvas. We both took Fine. some trips. Let's do like a little catch up. Yeah, we have a little bit of, uh, of housekeeping. We both took some trips. You're currently in New Hampshire and I'm just I back am. from Maine, which required me to drive through the great state of New Hampshire. Yes, we're New England at New Englanding it. Mm. Mm. There's nowhere I'd rather be in the summer. To be it was so nice. We had perfect weather the whole weekend. Lobsters were cheap. Beth's was open. Ah. Uh, he said Beth's with a B, not Meth's with an M. Because Meth's with an M goes, mm, not B. Dancing. Uh, <laughs> Guess yes, be like, quiet until we introduce you. No laughing. <laughs> this is a very serious podcast. Dana has moved outside and now has a backdrop of trees and actual birds and crowcuts. Actual. There's a bear that lives here, and that bear has like three teenage bears. Um, there's deer, there's bobcats, there's spiders. We saw lots of spiders in Maine. Um, no bears. What did I see? I saw little frogs. I saw I saw my cousin chickens. Your cousin chickens? Yeah. Oh, since you've been up there, uh, Jen has three chickens. 
They're so domestic. Ugh, just wait till you go back. You're going to lose your mind. We stayed in a little cabin. We didn't stay at the main house. They had a little cabin like down the road. So we would walk over there and it's this cabin from the 50s. I mean, it has not been touched. It was like staying in a museum from 1950 with the wallpaper and the appliances and like the cabin's not even insulated. It was rough. So you were like on an actual, like an estate. I was camping. Yeah. I mean, I would walk up to her house to like shower and stuff because it was pond water, but <laughs> that's um, legit. It was way fun. It was way fun. Mm, that's great. We were living on Loon Lane. And you got some lake time in, which I'm very jealous about. Yeah, we bobbed around the pond like apples, honey. Oh, I would like to bring in our guest, if I may, at this moment. I would like to introduce our guest, the one and only Internet's Broadway fan, Laura Haywood. Yes, Laura Haywood. It might be a stretch to say I'm the one and only Internet fan, but I am Broadway's the one and only Internet fan, Laura and Haywood. I, I, call myself, I call myself the Internet's original, the original. Uh, online Broadway fan girl. That's what I meant. That's the one and only, the original. Okay. Wait, wait, real fast, real fast, because it's part of the housekeeping I wanted to do, but I'm glad that we've introduced Laura. Speaking of internet Broadway fans, I want to give a shout out to Robbie Roselle, who has a new album out mm-hmm. called okay. Song From Inside My Locker. And I know you know him and love him, and we all know him and love him. And I just wanted to um, publicly announce my support for his live album recorded at Feinstein's. Dana and I went, not the night it was recorded, but like the first time it ever happened. Right, like it was kind of like a, a premiere, if you will. It was who's who of who's that. <laughs> um, I want to get that no. tattooed on my body. <laughs> yes. It was fab. It was fab and the album is fab. He sounds fab. The audience is loving it. Um, he just, he loves the Broadway so much as I know we all do. Uh, that's great. I think you're the only person I've ever heard refer to that place as Feinstein's and not 54 Below. I'm afraid of getting sued <laughs> with every word that comes out of my mouth. Steven is a completist. So, um, yeah, if, if they're if they're marketing Feinstein's 54 Below, well, guess what? That's what you're, you're on in the room with Steven and Dana. It's, it's Feinstein's 54 <laughs> fucking low. It's starting to sound like one of those like... Um, insurance or lawyer groups safe flight repair safe flight replace <laughs> or like or like connor connor gallagher and milligan <laughs> selino and barnes injury, injury attorney, attorney. wow natalie used them when she uh i think broke her foot do you remember when when uh, there was that whole Selena and Barnes challenge on Instagram where yes! all the Broadway stars sang that song? Molly Hager started it with her waitress castmates and it just went everywhere. That's She's hilarious. an actual queen. She is. Well, Laura Haywood, thank you for being with us. It's We're two about- minutes in and I've already <laughs> sung. What's happening? That's about damn time. Well, we vocalized. Yes. And I apparently am a bass. What well, is up? Is. We both have something. When this episode comes out, it's the same day as when 
the show that we worked on that you hosted and I produced uh, called Broadway Fanatic on Broadway on Demand. Broadway Access on Broadway on Demand. Yeah, Broadway Access. There's a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys, but it's, it's not, there. It's not just a show we worked on. It's legit our show. Th- that's entirely true. We created it and we made it. And we made it just like <laughs> the two of us. No, I mean, of course, Broadway on Demand has been, has provided so much support, but like from a creation standpoint, it was you and me. On the Zooms, not officially Zoom, I guess. Maybe I don't even remember. But we created something really fun. And, you know, it's funny because, like, even thinking about something like Molly Hager's Selena and Barnes challenge, I'm like, oh, my God, that would have been perfect. (laughs) What? That would have been a new segment? That would have been perfect for Broadway Fanatic. Um, Because what we do is we, like, we take take all the best um, sort of viral, meme-y internet content related to Broadway and then I I watch it and have a reaction to it and that's entertainment folks yeah I would say like 85 percent of the things that you are watching in real time are things that um I have found or people have sent me and then I get to show them to you and then you just react and it's really great I love it it's such an easy little setup I can't wait to see the fruits of your labor Thanks. And season one looks different than our pilot episodes. If you've already oh, seen a few. Yeah. yeah. I sort of forgot about those pilot episodes. Yeah. I sure didn't. <laughs> um, good. Well, I mean, I'm proud of them. It's funny because we just set up sort of in my living room and season one, officially season one will look, I think, so professional compared to those pilot episodes. I have a set. Uh, I have lighting. <laughs> you have a microphone. Who knew? I have a microphone. Yeah, it's 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 fun. That's so exciting. Yeah. Remind so, us just up top exactly how people can access it <gasps> and when. If you go to broadwayondemand.com, uh, you can find the information for two different things. There's Broadway Classroom, which is these like master classes. And then there's also Broadway Access, which is all of their original content, including Broadway <laughs> Fanatic with Laura Haywood, produced by Miss Dana. And um, pew, pew, pew. I think that they're doing like uh, advanced subscription signups now. Um, some of it's free, some of it's paid. They have original they're streaming shows yeah and yeah like they're full, gonna be streaming full-blown Broadway shows. musicals and and stuff and then they also have a ton of original content including ours yeah very cool crazy i know there's a lot of west end stuff happening with broadway on demand which is also, great we are responsible i would say that for di- discovering some broadway on demand talent hello dana brought to me the broadway hot dog which is like the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I had such a strong reaction to it uh, that we made Broadway Broadway Hot Dog, The Fan We Stan, which is a, an ongoing feature on Broadway Fanatic. And then, what do you know, Broadway Hot Dog now has their own show. <laughs> Come it's, on now. Its own show yeah. on Broadway, Broadway Access. Our executive producer was like, wait, how do I get in touch with the hot dog? And I was like... <laughs> yeah. Um, send a DM. That's how I'm contacting everybody. That's, that's how God my office internet. handled it. Yep, that's how my office handled it. So, 
sign up, watch us, support us. I'm and also excited. if you're making content on the internet that's related to Broadway, if you are, as I like to say, making fandom your own art form, make sure that you tag us, hashtag Broadway fanatic BOD. The BOD yeah. stands for Broadway on the win. <laughs> I know there are some, there are some things that you say every episode and that we haven't done an episode for a while. So it's a little like, what do I say? I know. Um, but no, we're I've... just chilling today. This is not, I don't know, that feels quite formal in a way, whereas this just feels yeah. like I'm hanging out with my friends. Yeah. I'm excited for people to watch. I think we have, I think, I know we have 10 <laughs> episodes premiering on September 14th. Get ready so to binge. Check them out. Um, one episode is special. We have mm-hmm. a special episode. Yeah. If you think that you are a giant fan of something, uh, wait till you see the guy, the world's biggest music man <laughs> fan. And this dude, not only, not only is he, does he love the music man, but he's also a very successful television writer. Like he was a head writer for SpongeBob for a while. He had his own sitcom for a while (laughs) and he's used his earnings to basically like buy music man memorabilia, including one of the 76 trombones. He actually has, he has. It was amazing. One of the actual trombones. He has like costumes used in the show. He has all these production stills. He has um, hats with plumes. Yeah. Plumes. He has plumes. promotional things. Like, I don't think it was McDonald's, but there was some restaurant that did a promotion where they had these paper hats that looked like Music Man marching band caps. And he has the paper hat from the <laughs> fast food place. Like, so we did an entire episode with him. It was like a show and tell of yeah. his fandom really interesting guy amazing completely unapologetic which i loved he's like yeah i'm a one man the music man ebay store mm-hmm. love it yeah which i totally music relate to i store. mean there is there is nothing that i like more than collecting stuff except maybe getting rid of the stuff that i've collected <laughs> and actually like that's that's you haven't asked me really like yet you haven't asked me what I've been up to but that's such a perfect segue that I'm going to pretend you asked me what I've been up to go on Um, girl hey Laura what have you been up to well I have been realizing that my 500 square foot New York City apartment cannot physically hold all of the things that I've collected from Broadway shows over the years Um, and also I have no income right now because I usually make most of my money during Tony Awards season oops Um, and So I have been selling my collection on eBay to make ends meet. And it turns out this has actually become a business. And now I'm I'm partnering with Broadway actors and some creatives to sell their one-of-a-kind and really rare items on eBay and splitting the profits with them and with the charity. So Mm. like... I'm selling the collection, a, a lifetime collection from Sharon Wheatley of Come From Away. And Pascal's podcast. Giving, podcast. Yeah, she's amazing. And so we're we're donating a third of the money to Broadway Cares. And right now it's just playbills and programs, although there's some really rare ones and really fun ones. But we're going to be um, auctioning off her costume from Cats. And what? some other really she was rare Jenny Any Dots, by the That's way. That's correct. She was. She also understudied Grizabella, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so we've got some exciting stuff coming up. And like, I'm, I've 
I've like launched a business. It's called Applause Shop. So go to applauseshop.com and find, and you can find stuff from my collection, from Sharon's collection. Um, I've got a couple of producers who are clearing out their offices who are giving me stuff to, and it, with a, like a, we have a very, yes, where I'm making ends meet, the artists are, are making ends meet, but also the commitment to charitable giving is huge. So that is so inspired Absolutely. and so entrepreneurial, which we just met before we did the show together. And that's something that has constantly been something that I'm so impressed by with you is you're just like, okay, what's next? How can I wait? I need to like do this to that, to get that to like, you're so entrepreneurial. And I don't know how else to say that. Cause that sounds very formal, but it's so funny that you say that because I like, I see it as being sort of ADHD where <laughs> I can't sit still. I can't focus. I just like I start to do something and then I get tired of it and I want to do something else. Yeah. You know, although this is something that in one form or another I've been doing for a long time. I I got my eBay account in 1998. I got it originally to buy Tori Amos memorabilia. Um, that was my music man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm I, trying to remember my first eBay purchase. I think it might've been a button from the 6,000th performance of Chorus Line. Wow. Do you still have that? I do. It's on my, and I'm going to say, like this eBay business, um, right right now it's flea market time. It's traditionally Broadway flea market time, which obviously And that's the thing is we, well, Broadway Cares is taking flea market online this year. And I highly encourage anybody who wants to donate stuff to the flea market to do it. Um, Of course, I, I, I am a huge supporter of Broadway Cares. And like I said, they're getting a big portion of this thing yes, that I'm doing exactly. with Sharon. And she was she was going to throw the stuff away. Um, so, so we're not taking money yep. out of anybody's pockets. Um, the thing is that I think right now we're at this moment where when somebody has something really, really valuable, they also, actors in particular have no uh, revenue stream right now. Their, their industry doesn't exist. And if they have something that's worth, say, $1,000, they may love the idea of giving a thousand dollars to Broadway cares, but they also might be a little bit like if there's a thousand dollars out there, I could really buy, like use it to buy some groceries. And so this is a way yeah. that we can split it and totally. Broadway cares will still get a few hundred dollars and the actor will get a few hundred dollars. I cover all the eBay fees and stuff, and then I get whatever's left over. And then, um, and so everybody kind of wins. The other thing Absolutely. is that one of the things that's so great about the flea market that I think is the reason people love it also detracts a little bit from the fundraising. And here's what I mean by that. I see playbills that would sell on eBay for a hundred dollars for five at the flea market or in a dollar mm. bin. And, and that's great for fans who want the playbills. And, and I, I, again, am not discouraging that at all. Of but, course. If I, but if I put that, that same playbill, let's say like the, the original cast of Newsies um, often sells for $50 on eBay. And if it's a dollar at the flea market, then Broadway Cares gets a dollar. But if I can sell it on eBay for 50, let's say 60 for the ease of math, sure. then Broadway <laughs> Cares gets $20 for it instead right. of a dollar. And so in that case, they're making 20 times the amount of money, you right. know? And yeah. so I feel like at least as a form of justifying it to myself, this is a no. way that kind of everybody wins. The fans get their rare things. The the 
performers or, or even just collectors who are ready to be done with their stuff can Marie Kondo their apartment and get rid of some stuff. Um, joy is spread in every direction. I get Absolutely. to, you know, pay my bills and, and so, and Broadway cares or whatever charity the person chooses, like it's we've been all giving win, to win, win, win. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. We've been giving to, um, the, the NAACP legal defense fund. We've been giving to, um, to the ACLU, um, to the actors fund. And I don't know. I'm very, very excited about it. And, and it's it might happening be all my- the time. It's happening all the time. Come the holidays come, you know, whenever. Yeah, exactly. We don't have to wait exactly. for Broadway Christmas anymore. It's always Broadway Christmas at the applause shop. Oh, ah! now is that a website? Like mm-hmm. people can go to applauseshop.com. Well, it is applauseshop.com. Why was that URL available? I don't know, but it was. I just bought it uh, for like the you know GoDaddy.com or whatever. Yeah. And um and now right now it links to my, to the eBay page, which mm-hmm. I renamed Applause Shop from what it was since 1998. Wow. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, Branding. I'm going all in. This is going to be the first time I am actually going through the steps of incorporating of like getting like being an like, or LLC. I don't even know what it is, but right, um, there's so many of them. I have a friend who has done this with a lot of small businesses. And the great thing is because right now I'm working out of my apartment and I have all the stuff, there isn't really a lot of startup costs, you know? I mean, I've bought thousands and thousands of envelopes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right. Can, can we do a, a, a pivot and, and ask, where did you come from, Laura Haywood? Um, oh, my gosh. And the what have different- you done to, to be Broadway's original fan and have this, like, niche that you carved out for yourself where did you come from oh my gosh um well i i was born on april 28th 1979 at stanford hospital i'm in, april 30th uh, yay we're gonna have to have a co-birthday party Yars. um i grew up in oakland california my parents still live in the first house i ever lived in when i was born i'm the only 40 something i know that can say that um, so when I get to, when I go home to visit, I actually get to go home. Anyway, this story is going to be very long if I go into that much detail. About everything. Um, the shortish version of the story is I grew up loving theater. I thought I wanted to be a movie star. Um, I uh, 
did, went to a lot of shows as an audience member. I got a degree in theater history and acting. It's actually just a general theater arts degree from the University of Puget Sound in Washington. But at, while I was there, um, I suffered a really bad bout of stage fright. It wasn't just about, it was sort of like, I mean, to be honest, I, I went through a trauma and after that could not get on a stage without having like physical, like without actually physically being ill. Oh, wow. So I stopped acting. Um, and at that point I discovered radio and I just signed up for a radio show where I played um, acapella hits from college groups all around the country. And <laughs> oh I'm God. telling you if social media had existed, then I would have been acapella girl um, I was, I was broadcasting acapella songs. Um, I was one of five radio shows in the whole country that did that. And do you guys remember, are you old enough to remember, um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yes. In the world is Carmen, Carmen San Diego. Okay. So, you know, that song, which was yeah. by a group called Rockapella. Yeah. Who was sort of the show's mascots. They, while I was in college, they sold out the Seattle Opera House, which is 3000 seats. And they invited me, I was 20 to come and and let like, be introduce them because I was the local acapella celebrity. <laughs> no. like, even one. then, even then, my fandom was its own thing. <laughs> it was just fandom for college acapella groups. I used to be able to name, like, if you told me the name of a, any college, I could tell you their acapella group. But that was twenty years ago, so those acapella groups often don't exist anymore, and I can't remember. In any case, I discovered radio. I realized that was what where I wanted my um, professional career to be, to do, that's what I wanted to do as a radio personality. Um, I managed to land a really prestigious job right out of college, producing a morning radio show in San Francisco, the fourth biggest market in the country. And, um, I went from there to being like a sidekick on a different morning show to hosting middle, middle of the day shows to, you know, like I was freelancing for the NFL and for major league baseball for their Broadway, I mean, Broadway for their broadcasts. I just say the, I start saying the word and Broadway comes out but for their broadcast. And then one of the producers I worked with at the NFL was launch. He'd been hired to launch a new, new channel on Sirius satellite radio, which was brand new at the time. God, remember and, that. And he, he was like, have you ever thought about moving to New York? And I said, yes. And so I did. And I moved there to help launch this channel that was, it was really for men. Like it was called Maxim Radio. It was based on Maxim Magazine, which feels so long ago, but Maxim was really a journalistic powerhouse. Yeah, it was Um, huge. When magazines were a thing. I know. And it really feels like another universe. But so I had, because I'd been doing sports and a bunch of other stuff, plus I was able to like, I was flirty and, you know, witty and had a dry sense of humor. I could like chug a beer with the guys and break down the batting lineup, but I could also be the cute Maxim girl next door. And so I was a producer and host on that for a while. In any case, I was basically as far away as you get from Broadway in terms of what I was doing. And because Sirius at the Mm -hmm. time was essentially a startup, I was, I was um, working like 60, 70 hours a week. I didn't have time to go to the theater. Um, and all of my friends, because I'd moved to New York for this job, everyone I knew in New York was involved in th- that little insular world, which, by the way, we used to refer to as um, locker room talk. 
which will give you a sense of how long ago it was, because that's a term yeah. that we don't like to use anymore. Um, no. Yikes. Um, anyway, uh, then I moved to Hell's Kitchen. I had been living, when I first moved to New York, I lived way over on the east side, far away from everything, because I didn't know what, you know, what the good neighborhoods were yeah. or whatever. Um, and, uh, but I moved to Hell's Kitchen and I started, and a friend of mine invited me to go to a show, a new show called Spring Awakening. And I looked it up and saw that it was a, um, or what I understood from the description was that it was a uh, revival of a show from Germany from the 1800s. And I was like, that sounds terrible. I definitely don't want to see that. Yuck. Um, <laughs> Yuck. But then I, then I thought, it's free. It's a block from my house. I can always leave it in remission. What do I have to lose? I don't have anything else going on that night. Well, this was during previews of Spring Awakening. And I was so blown away. I mean, it is, yes, it is based on a play from the 1800s in Germany, but it was like the most modern musical I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. And at intermission, I turned to my friend and I was like, I think maybe this is amazing. And I was crying <laughs> and I and I bought tickets that night to see it again. I ended up seeing that production 18 times and meeting all these other Broadway fan kids who taught me about things like Rush and lotteries wow. and the I theater really, hacks yeah and i didn't know any of that stuff this was also to age me um in the era of myspace and spring awakening was the only show whose producers were involved in so in um in myspace they had mm. a producer someone i still know i'm still friends with the name is pun bandu he was 25 at the time i think and he um and he was really involved in MySpace and getting and like interacting with the fans. And it was the first time Smart. I think that a show from the inside was interacting with the fans almost as peers. Like using and, social media, you mean? Yeah. Well, kind yeah. Of? But social media yeah. wasn't even a term then. Right, um, right. You know, and social media marketing was far, like far away. Yeah. Anyway, cut to a few years later, I was now going to the theater all the time. The hours at Sirius had cut back. The merger from with XM, I think, was happening around that time, which kind of changed the culture. Um, and, uh, and because I had been living in the neighborhood for a while, I realized I was seeing all of these people around my neighborhood who I had just seen on stage. And I have a really good memory for faces. So I'd be like, oh, that was like the chorus girl from the left who just bought the Jamba Juice in front of me and you know what she likes razzmatazz who knew and maybe people would care so I'd like look her up and I I I didn't have anybody to share that with I mean there were like the kids that I'd met in line at Spring Awakening but for the most part I was still living in my broadcaster world and while and I was like 30 at the time but most of the kids I was meeting I mean I used the word kids intentionally and most of them were like teenagers on breaks from school you know um and at around that same time, I read a book that I got for free through work because it was someone we were considering booking for interviews that was an anonymous, it was based on an anonymous blog about the restaurant industry. The book was called Waiter Rants. And the blog had started um, to sort of give uh, the inside knowledge of what goes on in a restaurant 
that the customers don't see. And I think they intended, the guy intended it initially to be like, here's what we think when you don't tip us. Um, or this is what happens when the health department comes. But it ended up being this storytelling mechanism about his coworkers and about his customers. And it was such a compelling read. And he all he did, he said he was a waiter and that the restaurant was in the tri-state area, but not but didn't say anything else about what it was. And at the time I was getting taken to all of these business lunches from publicists and stuff who wanted to book their guests on, on the shows at Sirius. And every time I went into a restaurant, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, is this the place? What it was, I found it so compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and fact is actually that once I read the book, I, I, the author had already announced who he was. He wasn't, anonymous anymore i don't think but still i got so caught up in the story that i was like it could be this place this is when like anonymous storytelling was kind of at its peak like gossip girl i don't know if that was gossip on girl was on tv yeah yeah, yeah. Was on TV. yeah. Um, there was, was controversy like, friendly enough for us to be able to you know it's when we all started posting our own thoughts and just kind of having it sounds like you know you had this um this like secondary life outside of your broadcasting world but you didn't have like the people to share that secondary life exactly with it was like and so i was like why doesn't this kind of this kind of storytelling exist for broadway and then i thought well there's nobody really first of all nobody's doing it so i might as well and i think that's what you identified as kind of entrepreneurial spirit dana yeah. is i was like i don't know it doesn't cost me anything and it's fun so that's kind of my version of just play mm-hmm. um and and it doesn't um, seem like homework you know, it's that's what you exactly right. Do. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like playing, literally. Right. Playing. It's an experiment, and there's not a huge cost to it. And people say to me now, like, "How did you know that this would turn out into a career? And you you've mapped this out so perfectly." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "No, I didn't. I just did whatever was fun." And there are so many other things that were fun for me in the moment that never went anywhere. But I didn't think of it as lost time or sunk cost because I got the enjoyment out of it. And that was all I really wanted in the first place. So I created a blog called, I was just going to call it Broadway Girl, but Broadway at Broadway Girl was taken on Twitter. And I knew I wanted a Twitter for this. I didn't have any interest in having a personal Twitter because I was like, I don't want strangers knowing what I'm doing, like what I had for dinner. I have my Facebook status for that. I don't, you know, um, and marketing, social media marketing wasn't a thing. I don't even think the word social media really existed. Twitter was brand new, but I thought I can promote my blog with Twitter, but at Broadway girl was taken. So I did Broadway girl NYC. I named my blog that too. It was like a word, old word, WordPress blog or something. And then that same night I was like, I guess I better go see See shows. So I went to see Blythe Spirit starring Angela Lansbury and Christine Ebersole. Yes. And I, my first tweet was like, going to see Blythe Spirit tonight, exclamation point. Emojis didn't, hadn't hit None. yet. You couldn't put photos on Twitter. It, you couldn't post. I didn't have a phone I could post from. It was all desktop and it was all text and it was 140 characters of just type. Um, and then I wrote, I wrote, I came home, I wrote a review of it. And, um, and I had, without having told anybody that I created this, I already had 10 followers on Twitter. When I got home, I was like, what, how did they find me? Well, they put in the word Broadway as an interest. And because I had called myself Broadway girl and wrote a little description that was like reviews, uh, thoughts, whatever, like sightings from a Broadway fan's perspective, people, 
just from a, a branding perspective, although I had no intention or no knowledge of branding, right. um, people were like, oh, I know what I'm going to get. If I follow this account, I'm going to get something very specific that I want to opt into. And now I actually teach classes on online. I call it identity because branding to me sort of feels inherently manipulative, whereas identity is about authenticity. And that's kind of, that's been my thing from the beginning. It feels like the money is taken out of it, right? Brand is the money, a monetary term. What I say is when you, if you have two identical items and you want one to sell better than the other, then you turn to branding. But if you have something that's truly unique that you can, then all you have to do is tell people what it is and then the right people will find it. And that doesn't mean you'll have the biggest audience ever, but the pe- but you'll avoid imposter syndrome because you haven't been pretending to be something you're not. You're not going to disappoint people because you've told them exactly what they're going to get. And I'm at a point now where when I lose followers on social media, I actually look at it as a good thing because that means the percentage of people who follow me that enjoy what I do is now higher. It's I'd rather concentrate. Yeah, I'd rather have a smaller audience that truly gets it. Nine people's favorite it. thing instead right. of a hundred people's ninth. Ninth favorite, favorite thing. Yeah. And so like if I'm not creating the content that makes you happy, go find the content that makes you happy. It doesn't have to be me. I just want everybody to like find joy in the world. You know? Yeah. So anyway, the that's all to say, because of the way that I named my Twitter account. And the fact that it took me no time to write whatever I thought or whoever I saw on the street or whatever. The blog went by the wayside. It was too labor intensive, but the Twitter account continued. And around that time, maybe a year later, first of all, Broadway World asked me to write a column in character as Broadway Girl, which I did. And they didn't pay me, but it didn't matter because I got paid in exposure, which I really needed at that time. And, um, And then the shows started to catch on that social media was a marketing platform. And it was Rock of Ages that did the first, what they called a tweet up, which was uh, like appetizers and cocktails for people who followed them on Twitter. And they sent an email blast out that said, you know, come meet your fellow Twitterers, um, have a cocktail, meet a member of the cast. Who knows? Maybe you'll find out who Broadway Girl NYC is in real life. That was on their email blast. They hadn't contacted me. I wasn't even on their email list. Um, they didn't, there was no way to tag people, I don't think. Maybe you could tag sure. people on Twitter, but it wasn't until someone I followed sent forward it to me or somebody that followed me forwarded it to me. And I was like, oh, people actually care who this anonymous character is. I just kind of did it. I wasn't trying to keep it from anybody. I didn't make any announcements, but you know, I would put on Facebook, like one time, I put on Facebook that I was going to be in the audience at the Colbert show. And I also put it on Twitter. And a friend of mine was like, wait, has, have you been Broadway girl this whole time? I just saw that you're both in the audience at Colbert. And I was like, oh yeah. But it wasn't until the rock of ages thing that I thought, oh, the anonymous thing is actually its own currency. And that was the time that, that was around the same time that I was like, all right. I'm savvy enough to know that nothing stays a secret forever. There had been a couple of Washington DC bloggers that had been anonymous, but were posting things about like senators affairs and stuff who had, that had really blown up in their face. And I was never doing anything that controversial, but at the very beginning, I'd be like, I didn't really like this show that much. Around the time that I realized that 
there was some value in this mystery, I thought, okay, nothing stays a secret forever. There, people are eventually going to find out it's me. All they'd have to really do is look at the HP address, you know, and see or at least doing. operate under the assumption, you know, if you're right. going to put something well, on the and, internet, which we are learning is forever also. Yeah. And I was writing in the voice of a teenager, but I wasn't a teenager. I was a savvy media professional, you know? So I thought I better not. Also, I was getting a lot of my tickets to Broadway shows through my job at Sirius. And I did not want to be responsible for burning any bridges between that organization and the Broadway so community. Because smart, I wasn't working so for the Broadway channel. I wasn't, you know, um, I was working on the talk radio side, not on the music side, nothing to do with Broadway. It was completely separate. I'd made a, I'd made a deal with, um, like with HR, HR knew that I was doing some writing anonymously about Broadway. And I was like, it will never touch my world with Sirius. I'll never mention Sirius, whatever. So I just was like, plus occasionally I would write something kind of snarky and it would get a lot of play. Like a lot of people would react to it in a, in a positive way, but it didn't make me feel good. Like I remember one tweet I wrote that said something like, there are only two reasons to give a standing ovation. One is if it's like the, a, a truly exceptional performance, and the other if the is if the idiots in front of you refuse to sit down. <laughs> and and I thought I thought it was kind like it's kind of a, the kind of thing I'd say tongue in cheek to friends, but when I put sure. it out there publicly, everybody like people reacted like it was brilliant. People like snark on the internet, but even the likes didn't feel good to me. I was like, this isn't who I want to be. Good My fellow you. audience members aren't aren't idiots. Yeah. I, I did leave that tweet up. It still exists. And I think if you search Broadway Girl NYC idiots, you could probably find it. <laughs> and I left it up just because that's part of my authentic journey too. But I, I was Absolutely. like, I'm just gonna only say nice things from now on. There's too much negativity in the world and I, and these people are creating art and I just wanna be supportive and loving and and I'm not a critic. I, I, and it I didn't make you feel good. It made you actively feel icky. So yeah. why continue? So why do it? And that's the kind of thing where there are people who are like, well, that's how you get followers is when you say mean things, people follow you. And I was like, I'd rather just not have, not be, because it wasn't a marketing plan. It wasn't how can I get an audience? It was, it was what's fun for me. It and was quality with, of audience. With, with a dash of like, I want to stay on everybody's good side because of course. I mean, really my, my constant fear, and this is something I'll go into at greater length with my therapist, but like my biggest <laughs> issue is that I'm constantly afraid that everyone is secretly mad at me. So to be like, well, I'm not going to encourage that by not ever saying. Yeah. And I'll, I would go to a show and be really disappointed, but I would say I have waited my whole life to see so-and-so perform live on stage what a thrill and that would be true I there's never always something you show. can take from a show there's That's always right. something right and then the i guess the the button on the story is that um after 10 years at sirius i realized that i was ready to say goodbye i had twenty five thousand followers on twitter Nobody still really knew it was me. I mean, I had a nice little handful of people I called my spies, quote unquote spies, who would help me, you know, they'd be like, come to this show or here's a like a fun piece of news to leak or whatever. But um, I had, and some of those people were asking to pay me to help them with social media on their show campaigns. Mm. And I was like, that could be my job. I have, I have more experience at this than anybody because I've been doing it mm -hmm. for, you know, for 
10 years or five, I guess right. it was five years at that time. Um, but I couldn't get jobs like that without any, without telling people that I had this experience, which would mean, um, you know, not being anonymous anymore. Right. And I really talk about something that I did, that I, I couldn't have imagined it going better. I got to have my reveal at TEDx Broadway by doing a TED talk about basically living yes, a double queen. life. Yes, queen. And it was a sold out audience at New World Stages. And it was sort of already this party atmosphere and the entire industry was paying attention. So I don't know. And, and that led to a whole career of showing up as Broadway girl, of doing on, on camera yeah. interviews to be, you know, to work. I've worked for CBS for, or I've worked for the production company that produces the Tonys for CBS for the last two years. Um, I was, you know, I, I've been at on red carpets. I've done all of this stuff that basically took my online persona and my professional broadcaster experience and mashed them together. And I've done a little social media consulting, but it turns out I don't like analytics. I don't want to pay attention to what time yeah. of day you'll get more hits. I just want people to be their true selves to understand that like following their joy is more important than following any numbers. I realized by the way, that the, that comes from a place of complete privilege that I can say that because I I'm like, you don't have to chase the money, chase the joy, you know, when that, like that's, I can't say that without acknowledging that just the, the, levels of privilege that allow yeah, something yeah. like that. Okay. Um, uh, so that's just an important asterisk to put on that. But um, but mostly what I do is as a like a television and radio host, except I now do it through mostly independent um, organizations as opposed to like Sirius or CBS. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think yeah. another hugely important thing that you did Again, probably not on purpose, but uh, I think you took the stigma out of being a fan. Hmm. I always felt, especially when I first moved here uh, back in 07, um, you know, there were like the people that did this professionally, whether they be Mm -hmm. actors or dressers or producers or whoever, there are the professionals and there are the fans. And there was Mm -hmm. not a whole lot of crossover. And like, that was fine. That's just how Broadway worked. And now you think of Broadway existing without the fan element and it doesn't work. I mean, look at Be More Chill. Fans are making the shows happen. That's like, I literally have goosebumps. I am getting choked up. That's like, nobody's ever said that to me before. And I feel like you just solidified my entire purpose in the you debunked the fan myth like (laughs) big broadway stars can now like kind of they've seen a successful story where like you can be a super super fan of this show or this person or this whatever and also just be like a chill person who's like not gonna turn into a stalker but just like thank you for your time thank you for that performance like can we take a picture like this is cool well, you know, I do, I, I do call myself an audience advocate sometimes. And I have told producers, I'm like, listen, you need to start treating your audiences like collaborators instead of like customers, because as soon as you start looking down your nose at them, they can feel it. And, you know, the one thing I know, and I've said this so many times, it's become kind of like a catchphrase, but theater without an audience is a rehearsal. 
And I, you know what? Why don't I have t-shirts that say that? I'm ordering them today and they're going in the applause shop. Yes, queen, um, yes, queen. Theater without an audience is a rehearsal. I think that I coined that phrase. I don't think I stole it from anybody. If Good. I accidentally stole it for some, but I've been saying that for years. And that means that the audience members are the defining characteristic of theater. And so if they're not being treated as important investors, then they're, then they're not, then, then the shows are losing out on having basically a free marketing team. Because if you make me feel like I matter to you, then I'm going to rise to that and tell everybody about this show. And, um, and that sells tickets. It might not sell enough to keep a show on Broadway, you know, like Be More Chill. It had a nice, a nice solid run, but it didn't mm -hmm. last forever. It didn't win the Tony. It didn't, you know, it like, but it got there. And there, there are other shows that like Beetlejuice. It set the precedent. Beetle Beetlejuice is another Juice. great example. Like Beetlejuice was was like medi having mediocre sales. I mean, don't get me going on the whole like they were about to be evicted thing. Yeah. Um, but but then and also like criticism be damned. Like what is what does that it, mean? Exactly. Exactly. It's subjective. Um, so the idea that that because I, I did say own your fandom, like be, be proud of it. Be, you know, because people would, t especially at the beginning, people would tweet me and say, I feel, I feel dumb when I stage door. Like if I stage door, then the actor will never want to be friends with me because I'm like that kid from the stage door. And I, you know, should I just not because it's embarrassing? And I was like, hell no, go stage door. Don't be a jerk. But like, yeah. and you know, Broadway and, actors have stage doored before well, they got on Broadway. Right. You hear about stage. Jonathan Groff stage dooring to meet Sutton <laughs> Foster. And like, my favorite thing is to see actors before they were stars. Yeah. Um, who, um, like with their the stage, stage door of ragtime. And you're just like, got you. Yeah. <laughs> I see yeah. your freak flag. Actually, Christiani Pitts, who starred in King Kong and was um, also in, um, Bronx Tale, she staged yeah. her, um, Patina Miller at Pippin, which doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Like to me, those yeah. feel like they're both Broadway leading ladies, but Christiani's really young. <laughs> she she was in college when, when Pippin was on Broadway and she traveled to New York. And I, I, I did an interview with her and I like found an old Twitter account that she had been said that she basically live tweeted her journey to meet Bettina Miller. Oh, that's and, great. And I, I brought it up during our interview and she was like, Oh my gosh, that was like, she, it didn't occur to her that that would still last, you know, that what you put on the internet is forever. And it was an endearing, beautiful thing. So I don't oh, think yeah, I love it. Sure. it. It's but, so pure. It's the purest. So pure. Don't and edit I, yourself. Go get that. I think people for did for a while, Stephen, I think you're right. People didn't want to be pure. They wanted to be uh, like aloof. And now there is this difference in culture where it's like fandom and Dana, this brings us back to Broadway fanatic is like fandom is its own art form and it is transcended um, just idolizing what somebody else does and becomes and, and become a vehicle for what we ourselves can do. <laughs> Yay fans! Yay! Speaking of fandom. purity, <laughs> speaking of purity and not holding back, um, what was your first impression of each of us? Oh my gosh. Well, I basically fell in love with Dana the first time I saw her. And you want to know something crazy? Yes. I seriously think of Dana as one of my best friends. And we've <laughs> Me too! Yes. 
We've literally never met. We've Me never too. Met. <laughs> We've spent so much time together during the pandemic, but have never actually, we're going to meet in person for the first time. I might actually cry because we've shared a lot. Like you definitely shared a lot. I'm more like, let's go, like, let's record. (laughs) You're like, but wait, this is the kind of day I had. And I feel like, thank you for sharing those things. Oh, and then you're like, can we please just get to work? (laughs) I'm like, hi. (laughs) Um, Well, so yeah, with Dana and then I, and then yeah, I I have idolized Dana since I'm a fan. Let's just say I'm a fan. Oh, um, Stephen, I'm trying to remember when I first met you. Was it Mark Fisher Fitness? I think so. I certainly um, didn't know you were Broadway girl at the time. Of course that, not. That Nobody was a, I, I, oh, I remember when I learned. I was like, oh, that girl. I know her. Weird uh-huh. that I know her. Um. Well, so it was after I that. We were going to MFF until after the reveal but still a lot of people oh. didn't didn't know that who it was because it was you know I didn't change my profile picture or anything for a long time in any case um and then you you were a personal assistant to somebody right I was I was do we, do we talk we, about that we can because a he's been on the show and b um I, I no longer have that assistant job so it's a thing of the past and is great um, and I think is the last time I saw you I think was so with too Joel. um and I was like well, Joel Gray, I went to his book event at the 92nd Street Y, and I was like, what are you doing here, guy from MFF? I'm like, working. Um, and what I, you doing? And I thought, and I was like, fangirling. Um, uh, I think my my impression of you that night was like, oh, this guy's important. But. Because yeah, if, he, if he's traveling with Joel Gray, then he must really be somebody. And I thought of you as like, I mean, when, before that, I knew your face and I knew, I probably knew your first name. And you yeah, were just probably like, the, one of like the tra- first run in where like something personal got exchanged yeah, for sure. Because at MFF, I was like, oh, he's one of the cute gay chorus boys who are in all my gym classes. And then I met <laughs> yeah. you and you were tra- you were with Joel Gray and you were like his right hand. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy stick with this kid he's doing and then we took the crosstown bus we took the m96 i have no memory of that oh i always remember a good bus ride we that night we took the bus together yeah because we had to get back to the west side so i'm sure right yeah it was just easier than because the the uh the yellow the Uh queue certainly wasn't up yet that's right you're right i I wasn't walking Oh yeah. No, I would totally remember that. Um, and I will also tell you that, um, I run, I live in the same neighborhood as Joel and I run into him walking his dog sometimes. And he's always so lovely. I don't know he's if he'd recognize me with the pink hair, but he still, he still thinks of me as Laura from Sirius. I was going to say, have you talked to him like on, you've had him on shows or red carpets or something before. Um, the last time I saw him was when he was directing Fiddler in Yiddish. Yeah. And I, and it was the lot, the final interview I did at build series, which is where oh, like wow. my best work kind of lives. And I don't know whether this is like public, but I think it's okay to say, um, Bill, I was always freelance at build and they stopped using freelancers. Um, they, they, it was AOL and then they merged with Yahoo and then they merged with Verizon media. And so they let a lot of people go and they stopped using freelancers. But from what I hear, and we'll just say this is a rumor because I haven't fact checked it from what I hear, Joel said he only wanted to do it if I was the host. So they brought me back for one. Snaps. 
I know. There are seven very well-known dwarves <laughs> in history. If you were the eighth dwarf, what would your name be? Glittery. Glittery dwarf. You and Haley Pajun can be like. Yeah. Um, he also glittery. He's sparkly. He's glittery and sparkly dwarf. Yeah. What would that you checks do? out? I thought you were gonna say Fanny. No. Fanny dwarf. I wish I had more of a Fanny. Well, because you're like the all, the original fan. Yeah, but Fanny means something else. Fanny also means Bryce. Fanny it means Bryce. booty. Or pack. <laughs> Fanny. I think I'd, I want to change mine to like corn dwarf. Corn dwarf? <laughs> just corny and like just full of corn. And oh, I, I love corn. I thought you meant corn dwarf. Corn dwarf. What would you be, Steven? I've always been Nishi Dwarf, Nishi Nash Dwarf. Um, I haven't thought about changing mine. Maybe for the next episode, I'll try and come up with a, a 2020 dwarf name. Because I've been oh. Nishi since 2017 when this dog and pony show Honey. woke up. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much. I could talk to you for 18 more episodes. And you know that but, I can talk for hours and hours on them. But this was, I mean, this was like kind of a crash course in how you became to be. And it's so fascinating. So thank you for sharing with our listeners. My pleasure. And yeah, obviously you can find her at Broadway Girl NYC. And, and you can find Dana and Laura on Broadway On Demand with Broadway yeah. Fanatics starting September 14th. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very excited. Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> In the Room with Stephen and Dana is produced by Stephen Farizee and Dana Craig. Special thanks to Joel Wagoner for tinkling the ivories on our theme song. Hit him up at joelwagoner.com. We apologize and you're welcome. We'd also like to thank Jesse Weiner, W-I-E-N-E-R, for our jazzy original music sprinkled throughout each episode. You can find him at jessewiener.com. Last but certainly not least, we'd like to thank Kevin Thomas Garcia for taking all of our ridiculous photos. You can find him online at ktgnyc.com. We are all over the internet on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at InTheRoomPod. Follow us, like us, share us, pimp us out. And don't forget to subscribe to In The Room Podcast. We everywhere, so subscribe. And thank you so much for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.